You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Before we get into, this is week four of the I Am series, and before I dig into the fourth I Am statement, I thought I'd take just a step back and consider, look at, just how profound these I Am statements were to the audience that Jesus spoke to, to the culture of his day. I think we, if we don't understand that, maybe we don't understand just how profound what Jesus is saying uh, to this group of people. Uh, you know, the seven I am statements that Jesus gives are only recorded in John, only in the Gospel of John, and recorded maybe 60 years after Jesus had died. And it's not too surprising because John's main focus, his, the theme of his Gospel was, I want people to know that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's nothing short of that. In fact, he starts out his gospel. The very first line of John 1 is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he starts out and continues this theme all the way through. And, you know, we just think, I'm not sure we understand just how powerful the uh, those statements are, um, you know, to this audience, it was a radical thought to think Israel was born out of slavery. Generations, almost 1,500 years before Jesus came, God appeared to Moses and said, I'm going to bring you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you to your own land and you're going to become a nation, but I am going to be your God. And this to a nation who all they knew for generations was a pantheon of gods in Egypt, a god really for everything. And that was their only exposure. They didn't have this side connection to God until God appeared. And he tells Moses, hey, I'm going to send you and you're going to tell Pharaoh that I am going to take you out. I'm going to take you to your new land. And Moses naturally says, well... Who do I tell Pharaoh you are? Which God are you? What's your name? And we know this, but I just want us to, to hang on to this again. And God simply says, tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. I mean, a profound statement. Sounds simple, a little confusing. But what he really is just saying is, I'm it. I am the God, the creator, the only God. Anything else is, is missed compared to who I am. Um, so that's, that's how Israel was born with this new identity, being connected to I am, the God, one God, one God who is very jealous God in the sense that there is no one else. I am it. Uh, in fact, about 700 years later, Isaiah the prophet will write this, Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be any after me. I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. (laughs) Again, put yourself this hundreds of years. This is their frame of mind. This is their identity. We belong to and we worship one God, the God, I am. So so now fast forward 1,500 years from the time Israel was born as a nation. 1,500 years, Jesus enters the world. And in this day, I mean, it's persisted for 14, 15 centuries. 
You know, they, they left the kingdom of a pantheon of gods in Egypt, and they took over the promised land with multiple tribes and, again, multiple gods. Uh, they, God always warned them, don't get dis- distracted by other gods. And then came the Assyrians, the Medes, the Persians, uh, the Greeks, the Romans. Uh, and every one of those had a plethora of gods that you could choose uh, to honor, that you could look to for life. Uh, but Israel was alone on planet Earth to say, no, no, there's only one. The one I am. That's our identity. That's who we are connected to. Uh, first commandment, we all know it. You are to have no other gods before me. Again, this is their, this is their mantra. Uh, so no wonder the, the incarnation, the idea that Jesus could be God in the flesh was such a hurdle even for Jesus' followers to understand. Because he wasn't a second God. He wasn't like, yes, I too am God. It's hard to put your head around. Is it really possible that the God of creation, the God of, that made everything, the God that's always existed, the God who we have followed for 1,500 years, is now saying, I have become one of you. I am God, that same God in the flesh. Uh, <laughs> Jesus had an argument with a bunch of Pharisees that were just debating this idea. Who do you think you are, Jesus, is basically what they're saying. And they said, we are, we are children of Abraham. We're part of this incredible culture, this legacy of worshiping the one true God. And Jesus simply says to them, before Abraham was born, I am. Imagine how that fell on their ears, how it fell on their hearts. I mean, this is why the Pharisees and the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. Because he dared to say, he is God in the flesh. But how, how profound is that? Do we take that for granted sometimes and understand just how amazing that is, that God of creation would become one of us, would become one of us to know us intimately. He became one of us to experience all of our joys, experience all of our suffering. Uh, there is nothing we can say to God Hey, you don't know what it's like, because God does. God knows exactly what it's like, because he was one of us. Well, and again, when he comes to these seven statements, Jesus didn't say, I'm, by the way, I'm a vine, I am a light, I am an option for you. Um, I can lead you as a shepherd to, to God. No, he said, I am the light, I am the vine, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, so that's our intro. Uh, Paul put it this way. I just, I love this verse because this kind of sums up this profound incarnation. Uh, Colossians 1.15 says, uh, uh, <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the visible image or the visible expression of the invisible God. Uh, simple statement, but it's so profound. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. That is God wrapped up. So today, today we want to look at, really it's a two for one day, because we couldn't separate them. Jesus in uh, John 10 pronounces he's both the door and the good shepherd. So we're going to read those verses, but today we're just going to focus on what it means that Jesus is the door, and then next week we're going to talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. Well, uh, 
<laughs> little context. Uh, let's. What? What? The audience that Jesus is speaking to was very familiar with what Jesus is going to talk about. Whether they were shepherds themselves, or they certainly were surrounded by sheep and shepherds and knew that intimately. Kind of like farming in the Palouse. May not be a farmer, but you certainly know what the farming is like around here. Well, here's a, a little picture of a large sheep pen in the day. Uh, and I show this larger one because in a larger community or a place where several flocks may be tended to, several shepherds may be working, they have large sheep pens. Uh, and every night, because the sheep are incredibly helpless, uh, they can't be out on their own at night. So they're brought into this enclosure. And as you can see, because it's a, a large one, they'd probably hire a gatekeeper in charge of watching out over the sheep. And then in the morning, the shepherds would come and the gatekeeper would only allow the shepherds in. And when the shepherds come in, they would, <laughs> I would love to see this, they would come in and, and simply call out their sheep. Maybe there's 300 sheep in there and six shepherds. So like 50 sheep as soon as, hey, sheep, hey, buddy. I don't know what they say, but <laughs> hey, come on. Like these 50 from all over would go, oh, that's my shepherd. And they'd literally come and fall in line as they follow the shepherd out. Uh, they'd follow him only because uh, they knew his voice. Um, pretty crazy. But that's the image that we're looking at. If it was a small community... If it was a, just a, maybe a family venture where they had a few sheep pens around their property, uh, at night they'd go into a sheep pen and where's that second little slide there? There it is. Uh, same idea, but just enough for one flock. As you can see, they're just an opening. And at night, the shepherd would literally sit or sleep in the doorway. You could say he was the door to the sheep. I mean, that's what... He's declaring here, I am the door. That can't come into the sheep pen except through me. So those are, uh, that's our little context as Jesus starts out in John 10, 1 to 5. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Well, it starts out, it's important to note that he starts out, very truly I tell you Pharisees. Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees because his Analogy is image is really directed to their uh, their failure because the Pharisees. I mean, God had intended that the religious leaders were supposed to shepherd God's people, shepherd the sheep, but they failed in their job. And here, Jesus, the door to the sheep, is standing there, and Jesus is basically declaring, "Hey, if you come in another way, if you don't come in through me, then you are not for the sheep. In fact, you will harm the sheep." You don't intend it good for the sheep. You have to come through me. Um, well, that was <laughs> the setup. But then uh, John 10, he goes and repeats it because they didn't quite get it. It says John 6 to 10. Jesus used this figure of speech. The Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to rob, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Uh, So, I mean, pretty profound statement Jesus is making. Kind of basically saying, this is the, the sheep of God, the one true God. But I am the door. I am the only way to salvation. And then I love how he continues it. Also, when they go in and out. I mean, there's this initial, come into the kingdom of God through me. But on a day-to-day basis, I'm the shepherd that will lead them in and out. They'll find good pasture. That's the role I have with the sheep. I'll make just a quick note because it's so important to, to the overall picture here. Uh, we're going to talk more about it next week. But when he talks about the sheep hearing my voice, they will not follow a stranger. Uh, <laughs> they know me. They'll follow me. So Jesus is not painting a picture of this uh, pathway to God. He's saying, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. In fact, in those days, the shepherd would almost always have an apprentice, a second, um, what do you call it in a stage, a back study. Uh, (laughs) Because what happens if the shepherd dies? The sheep would literally die because they have no voice to follow. So they would often have an apprentice, younger person that would also have their voice be familiar to the sheep. So if something happens to the shepherd, they have something to follow. That's how connected they were. And it's a great picture of how you only have life if you're connected to the shepherd in relationship. So I would just uh, emphasize that your door is not a church. Your door is not a lifestyle. Your door is not a doctrine or a set of beliefs. Uh, Your door to a rich, full life is a person. It's a relationship. That's your door. That's what Jesus is portraying here. Your door to life is God in the flesh. So that's what Jesus is painting a picture of for that audience as well as us. But I want to kind of look at the the culture around. I mean, we're kind of looking at the Jewish culture, but what about... What about us? What is Jesus saying to us in this? Is it the same? Is it, is it a little different? Uh, well, I will <clears throat> start by saying I, I'm a believer that when Jesus gives these seven I am statements, that in, in a lot of ways he's confronting seven of the prominent gods of the culture. In this case, the Roman culture around them. Uh, Ceres is the word for the, the god of bread. That's where we get our word cereal. Um, that was their, the Roman understanding. God's series will give us what we need to satisfy us. Apollo was the god of light. You wanted direction, you wanted inspiration, you wanted to go to Apollo. Uh, on and on and on. Each one, and we'll talk about today and next week as well, what, what gods were comparing it to. Well, also interesting to note that John, who wrote the Gospel of John, 50 years later, uh, he is in Asia Minor. He is the kind of the pastor over Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey, kind of southwest Turkey, where the seven churches of Revelation are in that area. And Ephesus may have been kind of his headquarters there. Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire, and it was full of Roman gods. Uh, had 
great pleasure of taking a trip there to walk around this unbelievably well-excavated city of Ephesus. It was like Disneyland, only real. I mean, you see these temples and libraries, and, and uh, you get a picture of what life must have been like uh, there. But, uh, so, probably the most prominent god in any Roman city was the god Janus. Janus was a Roman god that, well, let's just see what the definition says. In uh, Wikipedia, you know, a reliable source for all knowledge, In ancient Roman religion and myth, Janus is the god of beginnings, gates, transitions, time, duality, doorways, passages, frames, and endings. I mean, a lot of ways of kind of saying the same thing. Janus is the the god that stands in the doorway, the threshold. Uh, Got transitions in your life? Come to Janus. We always, we have many crossroads in our life, whether it's just entering adulthood, getting married, your first job, change of jobs. Uh, what do I do when I reach a crossroad? You go to Janus. Uh, it's interesting because uh, could be uh, why we get the word January. That's where January comes from. We just left. But what is January? It's the first month of a new year. It's a transition. So we haven't escaped completely uh, the Roman culture, and we in some ways honor that tradition in naming our first month of the year, January. A picture of a coin in those days that pictured uh, Janus. Uh, Classic. It's two-faced for a reason because you've got a younger face looking uh, toward the future and you've got an older face looking toward the past. Uh, Again, you want to know your future, you come to Janus. He knows the past. He knows the future. He can direct you. Uh, There's a Temple. This I found this fascinating. This is the remains of a temple in France in first century, the time that John was writing. This temple stood in France. That's how far-reaching the Roman culture was. Uh, and I don't quite understand the uh, logic here, but in times of peace, the doors would be closed. In the time of war, they'd be open. But people would come uh, to seek advice from Janus. So let's just uh, use an example. If I was a uh, I don't know, a stonemason. And I'm thinking, hey, I got an opportunity here to be a, uh, a blacksmith. I got, the, I got this guy who wants to fund me in a new job, but I don't know what it's going to be like. I need to go to Janus. So that, if I was a good Roman citizen, I would go to Janus. I would bring a sacrifice, hopefully an expensive sacrifice, and they'd butcher the sheep or the goat or whatever it was, and they'd take the liver and they'd examine the liver like all good scientists do to see if my choice will be prosperous. And, you know, you go there and you, you, you think, gee, did I, did I sacrifice enough? Have I done enough to please this God? Uh, every encounter with the gods of those days was full of fear and anxiety and, and a lack of confidence because you didn't know. You just hoped that you were worthy enough, that you offered enough sacrifice. And... You know, we look at that particular example and go, that's silly. I mean, we would never do anything like that. Uh, But I wonder if something like that is true today. Uh, I'm going to point out, call out college students. College students, are you in a time of transition? Anybody wondering what your future is going to look like? I wonder if what your door is, uh, what is it that you're looking to to give you confidence in the future? 
And I would suggest that we've been trained in our Roman culture, we really are still a Roman culture, um, from high school to say, hey, you need good grades so that, what? You can get into college. So that you can get a degree. So that you can get a great job. A job that has health insurance, retirement program, so that your future is secure. I would suggest that a college degree for many people is a door for them. If I can just sacrifice enough time and energy and effort to get this door, if I've done enough, then I can have a secure life. Then my life will be, will be good. Uh, I would suggest there's probably other doors in our culture, but not to single out college students. I just, I just know that that's so much a part of your world. But the rest of us, we face transitions all of our lives. You know, getting married, uh, buying a house, uh, getting a job, moving, having kids, all of those transitions. What, I wonder what Janice we run to sometimes. What do we want to put confidence in? Hey, that's the doorway. Uh, I'm about ready to retire, and I, you know, I'll name it. I think my, my 401K is probably my door <laughs> to retirement. Can't help but say, what, what am I depending on? What's my doorway to, to security in the next 20 years or so of my life? Is it God? Is it the the door? Or is it a substitute door? Is it a door that promises all sorts of things, but can't have great confidence in that? That could be gone in an instant. Um, Well, so I don't think we're immune. So the question would be, uh, how can I have confidence? How can I have confidence in the future, the choices that I'm making? When you face transitions, or do you face those? This is a good gut check. It was for me. When you face transitions in your life, many, many of you might be there right now. Is it a time of fear and anxiety and uncertainty, or is it a time of confidence? Um, that, I think, will suggest what your door might be. Uh, convicting to me to know where my confidence comes from. You know, another analogy that I ran across was this idea of a, a big cloverleaf. You know, you've seen overhead shots of freeway systems that all kind of come into this big cloverleaf, like a huge roundabout. It's kind of like college again. You've got people coming from all sorts of places, from rural, urban, in-state, out-of-state, international students. All roads kind of come into Pullman, come into WSU, into the college campus, and it's this chaotic search for the right exit, if you will. What, What exit do I take here? What's the right path for me? And that's what college is about. It's about trying all these doors. It's about hoping that I'll find the right door. Um, but usually that's not a great confident uh, search. Uh, well, I will suggest that Jesus is the only uh, reliable door, not only for eternity, but for the day-to-day life, the rich life that he wants to, to give us. Uh, you may not know what the future holds, but... I would suggest it's enough to, to know the one, to have a relationship with the one who knows the future. Because if you have that relationship, just like the sheep have an intimate relationship with the shepherd, you know, it doesn't really matter. You, you're excited about wherever you're going because you're following the guy that you trust completely and intimately because you know him. You know he's got your best uh, in mind. Uh, there's a Hebrew word that I 
love, ran across that kind of is used in this context. It's the Hebrew word parats. Can you say that real quick? Parats. You need to help me. One more. Oh, that was good. It even sounds kind of dynamic, doesn't it? Hey, parats. Uh, I love it. Here's the definition, parats. To break or to burst out from a womb or an enclosure. To break through or break down, to make a breach in, to break into, to break open, to explode. I mean, it's this great imagery. And how it's being used? It's being used in a lot of ways in a sheep pen analogy, in an enclosure. Uh, I love that. You know, and sheep are, let's just say they've been enclosed all, all winter. And now they're coming out to the pasture. Guess what? They're going to come out. They're going to follow the shepherd when he's ready to lead them out into a new pasture, into the spring, into an unknown. But the sheep are pumped. The sheep are excited. They're going to explode out of that enclosure because they're confident that, hey, we're following the shepherd. He takes care of us. He'll lead us into great pastures. He'll take care of us wherever we go. Uh, That's the image I kind of want to leave us with. Uh, I'm, I'm part of a small group. There's a couple other couples uh, Judy and I, and uh, just recently we were talking about one of the, one of the people in our group said, "Hey, uh, yeah, pray for me. I'm thinking about this new thing I want to do. Uh, I want to I want to try this." And then she said, "Pray for me because I'm kind of fearful. I'd fail. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I I really feel like this is what I should do." And uh, I, I just couldn't help but think about this. You know, if, if we have a relationship with the shepherd, if we have a relationship with the door, then we can have great confidence and say, hey, I, I feel like this is what he's telling me to do, and I'm excited for what will happen as a result. Not, I have no idea if this is going to work or not, if it's going to fail. Uh, again, do we have confidence? Do we have an excitement? Um, I think it's more, I like to think about it as a parent, a number of you probably have kids. Um, maybe you are a kid. Uh, but I think about my fourth child. We had three daughters and then a son. And my fourth, Zach, was a pretty gifted natural athlete. And I was kind of excited for him to, hey, what, what's this guy going to do with his gift of athletics? But he never really got into anything. He always was, you know, in the middle school, could play basketball well, baseball Basically anything. He just had great eye-hand coordination, and, but he didn't get into anything. So nothing ever developed. And I kind of felt like, eh, I think he's got potential here. But we, go to, we move to California, and he discovers volleyball. And he just lights up. It's like I've, I've discovered what I'm created for in some ways. I mean, he just got pumped. He got excited about this new sport that he never knew existed, volleyball. Um, and in, in his short time through high school there, he went from not even knowing what volleyball was, to he was on first team, all Bay Area, uh, first team high school team. Everybody else on that team had scholarships from two or three years before. He had none, because nobody knew he existed. He kind of popped out of nowhere. Um, but as a parent, you're kind of thinking, it's so fun when you see your child kind of discover what they're made for. I think that's what God, how God treats us when we're looking at our transitions, looking at times in our life where we're kind of wondering, what should I do? Where should I go? And I think, hey, talk to your dad. Hey, dad, what am I gifted for? Lead me to what 
will light me up because I think that's what he wants to do. The end of these verses, John 10, 10 says, I have come that you might have life, life to the full. I mean, I, I love that image. It'd be great if every transition, every kind of major choice in our life we came up to and said, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I'm excited because I, I know God and he's directed me here. I'm excited for what's going to happen. Uh, that would be an awesome uh, perspective. Uh, old movie. Hopefully some of you remember this movie, Chariots of Fire. Great inspirational movie, but the uh, character in that show was Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell was a, a trying out for the Olympics, Scottish, I believe. But his whole family came from a family of missionaries. And they were convinced just because of their heritage, well, everybody in our family is a missionary. So, Eric, you're going to be a missionary. And Eric kind of struggled with that because he was a gifted runner. And uh, his sister finally, as they're kind of nearing qualifications for the Olympics, uh, she's concerned that he's spending so much time training and running. And she says to him, Eric, you've got you've to move on from this diversion, basically. Uh, your place is in the mission field. And I love what Eric Liddell says. He turns to her and he says, but God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. <laughs> what a great picture of how I think God wants to direct us. Not, oh, you need to go do this. No, it's find what you're gifted at. Find what I created you. Let's lead you into that so your life can be rich and full. That's what the doorway means uh, for us. You know, as a college pastor for the last 15 years, uh, got a lot of college students that will come up to me, and inevitably about half of those conversations are, hey, yeah, I'm not sure what I should do. I'm thinking about this or that or... Uh, I've applied for this, or, but how do I know what God wants me to do? And I've realized uh, I only have one question for him. I don't, I don't try to evaluate the opportunity. I just simply ask him the question, well, do you, do you trust God with your life? Do you want to do what God wants you to do? And if they say yes, I said, well, then go, go for it. Go do whatever you want to do. If you're connected in relationship with the shepherd, with the door, then have confidence. Parats into your future because he wants to give you uh, the best. Uh, so that's my invitation. That's my encouragement to us that we could have confidence uh, in the crossroads of our life, uh, knowing that he takes pleasure when we live out our calling in relationship with the door uh, in a culture with a lot of doors to walk through, a lot of options, a lot of promises. Many of them end up robbing killing, destroying uh, their illusion. Um, We can have confidence that Jesus as the door will lead us and protect us and guide us uh, into a rich, full life. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.